Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining the Austin Rugby Podcast for this very special edition. As a seasoned podcast host, you would think I would get things right every single time when it comes to recording and producing my podcast. However, I'm human and I make a crap ton of mistakes sometimes, like forgetting to check if my microphone is plugged in when I start. So my apologies to start off with. You don't get this nice, clean sound that you're getting now from my lovely podcast mic. You're just going to get the regular computer audio on my podcast. Uh, The sound pretty subpar, if I'm to be honest. However, that doesn't deter from a great interview that we have coming up on this very special episode. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for bearing with me. Much appreciated. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of the Austin Rugby Podcast. There are probably some of you listening to this or watching this, since we will throw it online, um, that may not be familiar with who I am, what I do, and why this is such a special edition to the podcast. My name is Dustin Zare. I am a longtime rugby player, rugby fan. I retired some time ago because, well, you know, Three, three knee surgeries is enough for rugby, and uh, you don't want to play anymore. But it didn't stop me from loving the game. On a weekly basis here in Austin, Texas, we cover everything that has to do with rugby in Central Texas. And on Texas Rugby Monthly, which I'm also a part of, we cover everything going on in the great state of Texas. Because, well, it's a big state and there's lots of rugby being played here. The reason why this is a special edition of the podcast has to do with one thing and one thing only. A couple of weeks ago, it was announced that a new league was forming within the United States. And that is the NARL, the North American Rugby League. And for those of you saying, well, wait, hey, we already have like the MLR as a rugby league. Why is there another rugby league? It's actually a completely different league. So for those of you that don't know, rugby is split up into two codes. First code is rugby union. That's what most Americans uh, know as far as rugby goes. It's 15 aside. And of course, it's what the MLR is. It's what most people play in college here in the U.S. and even in youth. The North American Rugby League is league code. So a little bit different. Uh, we'll get into it as we move along in the podcast. If you've listened to previous episodes, we kind of touched upon it about two weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that episode talking about number of players on the team and are on the side uh, at one time and talking about how there's actually a certain number of tackles and then you have to kick the ball away versus rucks and scrums and stuff that we have here in the U.S. or in rugby union, excuse me. But what we want to do on this podcast, there's been a lot of questions, a lot of things that have been floating around on the internet, from Reddit to Facebook, to all the different pages that we have that are associated to rugby league in North America. We wanted to bring on one of the people who is actually heading up this push for the NARL. And that is, I'd like to bring on Lars Havens. He is the CEO of Rugby Operations, Inc., who is heading up the Western Conference Division. Uh, Lars, welcome to the show, man. Really appreciate you coming on and, and chatting with us about everything rugby league in America, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I think you do a great job promoting rugby in America, and you know, really looking forward to growing this with you. I appreciate it, and uh, obviously, you know, I we just started covering rugby league. What was it? Three weeks ago or so. Now, I definitely uh, have not done as much as the the chasing Ruse or chasing kangaroos, Michael over there, or uh, Nate over at the Rugby League in America podcast. So, uh, credit to those guys who. Man, I, I'm just now finding those guys for the first time and chatting with them online. So they do a great job. So I got to give props to them. 
Um, but we're, we're going to cover it because, well, Austin has the Austin Armadillos, part of the six teams in the Western Conference. You know, there's lots of questions going around everywhere, as I said. And of course, part of that is, how did this all come about? How what's what's your level of involvement right now? And you know, let, let's just kind of start at the start at the beginning. You know, rugby league in America not as popular as rugby union. Um, but how did you kind of come about to getting involved in rugby league in North America? Yeah, um, you know, first I'd like to give a shout out to Nate. I, I love this podcast and what he's done for rugby league. I, I uh, listen to that. Um, I think he's a great voice. Um, but my, my real quick journey um, when I was younger, I got an excellent opportunity to go and play rugby league over in Australia. I played for the Penrith Panthers subsidiary, um, the Windsor Wolves, and the St. Mary's Cougars. I was there for two years, best times of my life. Um, I really got to. You know, know the game of rugby league. Um, I actually learned league before I learned union. I came back and then I played for ASU uh, on the union side and then on to some club teams. And so I've, I've really had a push in the last couple of years um, after I sold my last business to try and bring rugby league to America. I think that it is um, the entertainment value is really there. And I think it's something that the American audience can relate to because it has, you know, six tackles um, and the, the play of the ball is much cleaner. Um, and so I've always liked the game just a little bit better. I think it, um, it's, it, it's a better show of athleticism, maybe. Um, and so I think it will fit the American audience uh, and, and their desire for quick, hard-hitting action. So I got teamed up with a group out of England. Um, and they're starting the NARL. And our uh, company, Rugby Operations Inc., was assigned the contract to build the six teams uh, of the West Coast Division. Um, and so we're, that, that's our goal for 2021 is to bring six teams to the West Coast Division, um, 120 players, and really kind of build this talent base uh, out here west, out west. Yeah. So basically, you know, uh, the the organization out of London um, or out, out of London or out of England in general, are they make that maybe um, out of London. It's out of London, um, but there is one member that's in the north of, of England. Okay. Are you at liberty to say what that organization is? Are they trying to keep everything under under brass? <laughs> well, it's the, it's the NARL. It's okay. just um, where the different members are located. Ah, gotcha. Perfectly fine. Uh, so obviously, one of the big questions everybody's had, and we kind of talked about is, you know, I have really like... So technically, all the Western Conference teams are owned and operated by one group, correct? And that would be your, your group of, of Rugby Operations, Inc. and the NARL or in, in joint ownership. Uh, currently, yes. Yeah. So kind of the plan is for season one is to have them all ran and based out of Las Vegas, largely due to COVID. It really affected our ability on the West Coast just because of the different laws between states. Um, and so in order to make sure that we could put on a program that we could have all games played and we wouldn't have to deal with cities closing us down, we decided to centralize uh, all uh, talent in Las Vegas for season one. And then moving forward, we're going to distribute those teams back out into their individual cities. And we'll look as uh, like the MLS does for people to buy in and become owner operators um, of, of clubs inside of cities that, they that they're from. Yeah, absolutely. And so it seems like obviously you're going to be in constant communication with, well, pretty much anybody who would be interested in owning a professional sports organization, um, specifically in the six six cities that you, you've identified. Uh, for those of you listening that don't know, um, and you'll have to correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, Lars, like, we, of course, we have Austin. We, we have to have Austin here because that's why we're on the podcast today. <laughs> uh, we have also got uh, San Diego, San Francisco, Las Vegas, 
Phoenix, and Portland, right? That's correct. And we specifically chose those cities uh, based upon what we think the demographics are that are going to be a fit for rugby league, as well as some of the talent base that does exist on the West Coast. Um, And so kind of the goal is to build these teams and get a strong foundation, put in some best practices and, you know, plant a uh, flag in the ground to attract other like-minded people that are interested in rugby and then have them come in and and really take over operations of those teams in in their home cities and really build some pride, you know, for the Austin or Modelo's. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I mean, obviously there, there's always going to be challenges in, in each one of these different areas, um, kind of with the uh, limited rugby league structure. Like, so, so we'll take Austin, for example, huge rugby union, a huge rugby city, rugby. I mean, Texas is a big rugby state. One of well, a big state in general. And of course, you know, there's rugby teams everywhere. I would say 99% of them are going to be rugby union. I do know that over in Houston, they just started, um, they actually got approval for the Texas Rugby League uh, as far as the youth organizations that they're starting over there. Um, we'll, we'll talk with uh, a member of that organization on a future episode of the podcast. He's actually a good friend. And so that's starting. But in each one of these other areas, you know, I'd say maybe San Francisco probably has it has a is definitely a large population of rug, for rugby league grassroots, but in other areas, not so much. How do you guys plan to? Um, you know, I guess what kind of challenges do you see right now? Starting off, uh, we'll talk about the challenges right now, and then how you guys plan in the future to address those challenges. Well, first off, I think one of our biggest challenges this year is COVID. Um, j- just because from an organizational uh, like level, dealing with cities and states, um, there's not a real clear-cut policy on how sports and, and things are going to interact unless you have uh, really big contracts like this, uh, a pro team. Uh, gets different kind of operational standards than you know some of the, someone like us that's a startup. So that's been one of our biggest problems, um, and we overcame that by centralizing here in Las Vegas. Um, and I think as far as players are concerned, we have a pathway um, where we have some really talented coaches that are specifically uh, talented in basically changing or creating skill sets for rugby league from rugby union players or other types of athletes. Yeah. Um, so our goal is to start with a core group of rugby league players from overseas and in America that have played uh, maybe in the USARL or on the West Coast uh, for California Rugby League or some of those kind of things mm-hmm. as our kind of spine and backbone players, eight, eight to 10 per team. And then we're looking to recruit from rugby union um, and then college football um, or any. Okay. One second. No, you're, you're fine. We'll, we'll, we'll pause for a second here while we figure out what's going on with the dog there. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> oh, perfect time. Oh yeah, Th- thank you, Amazon, for delivering those live packages uh, <laughs> and, and making our dogs go crazy. It's okay. I've got a puppy as well, so we're it's perfectly fine. Um, you, you're so we're, we're chatting about you know just talking you know the the potential and I guess the players you have coming in. You talk about a core core group of eight to ten you know people. Players with previous experience playing league, whether it's from you know the Super League or NAR or uh, the, the NRL or you know somewhere in California or USARL. Like, so beyond that, you talked about you started talking about 
American football players. What's your kind of approach in in rugby union players? Obviously, we've seen that with some of the signings already um, with uh, with Portland, with Austin. Of course, we have we have big Mike coming back, the Fijian Godzilla uh, coming to play back with the Armadillos, and I think. You know, obviously, there's tons of talent um, all around the U.S. in skill set, like pure athletes who maybe don't get a chance to play professional football, or maybe ex NFL players who really didn't make it in the NFL. What's your kind of target and plan for scouting those type of players? So, one of the things that we're really going to try to look for is um, people that have you know athletic ability, uh, speed, size, along with you know toughness. Because rugby league is uh, a pretty violent sport that you need to be really mentally tough. And we're going to try to fill those players in alongside and uh, really work with them on the fundamentals of the game and and maybe reduce a little bit of their options uh, as far as passing and things like that go. So they're taking you know plays one and two or hit up one and two in rugby league are usually just a straight run into the heart of the defense. And so if you get, you know, some big uh, football players or guys that have played rugby union uh, that are forward packs, those aren't highly skilled plays. Um, Usually, you know, plays four and five or or hit ups four and five, those get uh, more to the skilled backs and kicking and things like that. Those will probably be more of our spine players. Um, But, you know, if you're a front rower in rugby league, you're making 18 to 20 tackles a game, right? That's your primary, you know, primary job. And so that really is someone that could have played college football in the linebacker or safety position or is, you know, a forward pack that's in real shape uh, from rugby union. And yeah. So we're going to try to fill some of those positions with guys that are really great athletes. And then the five eights, fly halves, hookers, we're going to use guys that have experience. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of a good structure to start off with. It's one of those things that we, you know, we look at, you know, as, as, as American sports fans. And a lot of it, you think about all the different people who play football in America. And there's some pure athletes out there. I think in Austin in particular, you know, Don McKenna, Roderick Waters, uh, for those listening or watching and don't, don't know for Austin's team, like former, you know, free safety and former uh, cornerbacks and stuff that, didn't get a chance to run the ball and they turned to rugby because, Hey, I get to run and hit people. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, but they're pure athletes and they, you know, tend to do really well. So I think that, you know, you're right there, Lars. Like as we continue to see that growth, having some pure athletes that you can train into the sport, you know, kind of work through the system and end up becoming, you know, really great rugby league players. Have you guys, um, I guess there's a, We'll call it a trial going on in Colorado right now called the crossover to XO. So and in Glendale, they're doing something with rugby union players and taking these pro athletes and or former athletes or pro and college athletes and trying to teach them rugby union. Is this something kind of the same concept that you're trying to do in uh, kind of in Vegas or in rugby in the rugby league NARL in general right now? Just to try to find these athletes and train them into, you know, becoming the next big rugby league star? Exactly. So one of the things that we're going to do is an Olympic style training facility. Um, So all athletes will have access to um, basically be trained together for most of the, most of the training camp to really try and get the skill set up to be um, pro pro level. And so when we bring in some of those guys, they're going to be working six days a week, right alongside some of the best players and the best coaches. So we really think we can develop that skill set quickly. And then we're also going to manage some of that through gameplay and game flow. 
Um, like I said, so you don't have, you know, the guys with a ton of experience uh, on, you know, hit number five, trying to make kicks or things like that. Uh, and so I think between game flow um, and the training that they're going to get, it's going to be uh, pretty amazing on how we can recruit guys over. Some of our biggest players right now are ex-college uh, football players. They went and trained and learned um, how to play rugby league and then now have come over and really dominated. Because rugby league is a athletic performance-driven sport. It's yeah. really you versus the guy directly across from you. Can you run him over? Can you juke him? And those are athletic moves um, that aren't necessarily... You don't need to teach those. Um, whereas, you know, in rugby union, rucking and scrumming and a lot of those things are real technical poaching. Yeah. Uh, a lot removed from rugby league. Yeah, exactly. So I, I guess you know one of my questions one of the questions I have here then you talk about your coaching staff. Will each one of the organizations, um, you know, San Diego versus Phoenix versus Austin have their own individual coaching staff at, at the beginning of the season or is everybody kind of going to be under one coaching staff and then as the season progresses like separate out into individual um I'm just trying to think like the, from a structure standpoint if you've got one coaching staff trying to teach everybody this game the sport and then other coaching staffs, you know, don't really exist. How do you create the, uh, you know, the differentiation in play styles and things like that? Uh, that's an excellent question, um, and, and one that kept us up uh, all the time. <laughs> um, but so what we've done is we've hired six individual coaches, and they come from different backgrounds. Um, some of them are from Australia and are uh, specifically developmental coaches that have worked to train players that have come to Australia into rugby league players. Um, the secondary part is that we have brought in um, some old NRL players that were coaches and some really high-level uh, USA coaches. Mm-hmm. And so each team is going to have their own individual play style and coach. And that's also how we sign players, right? So the coaches give us a list of desired talent. Our head of uh, player recruitment, Jamil Robinson, goes out and contacts them. And then when they get brought in, the coaches assign them to different teams to fit play styles. Okay. Um, that's how we're going to compete. Uh, uh, leave that competitive advantage out there. The coaches and players also get win bonuses. Um, and so we're really looking to create a really competitive field. Um, and from there, uh, also have the individualized training with the different skill sets from coaches. Like some of them are really great at training forwards. So on a weekly basis, Monday and Tuesday, it's going to be kind of like a community training where you go out and get individual skill sets. Wednesday and Thursday would be individual team trainings, Friday, a walkthrough, Saturday games. Okay. Yeah. And I think you, you guys, as, as of right now, the structure is to have uh, two games. Is it two games a day or two games a weekend? Like I think for the first week, opening weekend was like back to back days of games. Uh, I'm going back to think about that now. I don't actually remember if that's actually right. So <laughs> I thought it was. All games will be played on Saturdays. Okay. Um, each team plays each other team twice. Um, and so we have 10 weeks of games. Um, and then there's going to be a divisional playoff game, and then there's going to be a league championship game. Okay. So are you guys structuring it? Yeah, obviously, it's Vegas being the location for all the Western Conference teams. How are you guys managing, I guess, the travel? How are you managing getting the Eastern Conference teams to play? Um, will there be... I mean, is there going to be cross-divisional cross play um, starting off right now? Yeah. For, so for season one related directly to COVID, uh, there is no cross divisional play. So the East Coast teams will all play on the East Coast and the West Coast teams will all play on the West Coast. Um, and then there will be a 
final that that matches the best team in the East Coast versus the best team in the West Coast. Um, and so right now, uh, it's all interdivisional play except for the final. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think that's a big question a lot of people had was just how is this going to work out with? I mean, obviously, travel with a, a professional sports team is not not cheap. Uh, you know, you talk about everybody who has to travel, especially with a young league um, working on sponsorship deals. Etc. Etc. Um, yeah. So I guess that that kind of leads me to my next question as we start working on you know the league in general. Um, Rob Curtis uh, is the COO. You could, are you allowed to provide any other structural details about the front office of the NARL and kind of who's who's involved? What's your level of involvement with that front office? You know what 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 are what are some things that that people should know that maybe don't know yet about how the sure. NARL structured. Can I take one step back and talk a little bit about uh, the business structure? Yeah, absolutely. Um, something you brought up. So, you know, one of the things that uh, I've really looked into when I started this journey in 2008 is the success and failures of different startup sports leagues. Um, and there's been great successes like the UFC. Um, and then there's been great failures like the AAF, right? Yeah. And so one of the things that we determined was a key factor, something called cost per entertainment hour, right? And that's how much dollars are you actually spending to put an hour of entertainment out there? And so when we really work to build this, everything that we've done is to be able to provide the best cost per entertainment hour in the industry. We're about 40% less than an MLR team would be for the same entertainment hour. And we've done that through consolidation of training facilities and staff, right? Uh, so we don't have six front offices. We have one front office, right? Uh, we've also done that by playing all the games out of a singular location. So it reduces overhead and we have all three teams playing there every week. And so some of those things that we've done is really to build this runway because we feel like rugby league is going to be a two to two to five year build out really to, to gather an American audience. Mm-hmm. And so what we've tried to do is create the longest runway possible so that the sponsorships and the entertainment dollars that we have now can stretch as far so we can get to that point five years from now where we can be the first North American rugby operation to pay someone a million dollars. That's that's one of our stated goals yeah. for a season player. Uh, so this is really based upon the players and, and turning them into household names and stars that's kind of our operational goal. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll, I'll kind of piggyback on this with a question I've asked a little bit later, but this kind of ties in perfectly is, you know, one of the big questions is where does the money come from right now? Obviously, you no know, ticket sales, you, you'll get merchandise sales, hopefully with you know, things to be announced later. Um, but right now, no ticket sales, as far as funding goes, where's all that, where's the, where's the revenue coming from for you guys at this particular point in time? Or where do you see it coming from? Um, just, just with you know, your broadcast deal probably with was it Flick, the Sports Flick, is it the right one? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which, which we'll talk about here here in a minute. But you know, where where do you kind of see that revenue coming from in twenty twenty one? Not just in the West Coast, but in, in, in ARL for in general right now. Yeah, so the NARL, um, you know, has done a great job of being supportive as far as financially to the teams. Um, and that, that's mainly done by Gary and Rick. Ricky Wilby is the CEO. And then Rob Curtis is the operational manager. Um, and then Gary's kind of over the top and, and, and works on those commercial deals. The majority of the money is coming from the sports flicks deal and from sponsorships that will be announced next week uh, through large partnership. Um, and then each team gets awarded a percentage of that, like similar to the NFL. Yeah. Um, 
that's used to run it as well as, um, you know, there's individual investors on both the league and the team side that are coming in in order to support the growth and operation of this. And we really hope that's the goal with the West Coast is this first year is build it out, you know, get these, create these teams of value and then be able to bring on operational and financial partners in each individual city uh, to, to grow the sport as a whole. Mm, gotcha. And, and then so, yeah, obviously, if, if you're working on the sponsorship deals, with the sports flick deal, it, um, you know, obviously there's a pay, it's a paywall to be honest, kind of like flow sports was mm-hmm. for the USA rugby, you know, it still is technically. Um, how do you get the, I guess, visibility to the, the regular American public who knows nothing about uh, rugby league? If it's behind kind of the, the sports flick paywall as of now, um, with, you know, as you're targeting from a marketing standpoint, me as a marketing business owner, I'm trying to think like, how do you get the name brand of the NARL and the Phoenix, you know, Venom and all these other teams out to the regular public who know nothing about rugby league or that is, is existence or sports flicks in general? So one of the things we really hope to do is uh, something called uh, social reality, in which we're going to create five to you know three to five minute clips for three players on each team per week, and be able to feed those across social media platforms that will be able to tell the story of what they're doing. Alongside of that, um, there's going to be one game per week that's going to be broadcast on social media, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, those kind of platforms that won't be behind a paywall. Nice. So people will be able to log on and watch those for free. And we're currently in talks um, with another large traditional TV partner to be able to broadcast one game a week as well. Um, that'll be the West Coast will do one game a week per week on social media platforms. The league will get one game per week overall. So East and West Coast for a TV partnership that should be announced uh, in the next you know week or two. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, that's obviously that's what a lot of people want to hear is how do you grow the game? You know, as as a rugby fan in general, like you know, uh, some rugby union um, fans are like, oh, rugby league, whatever, and rugby league fans are like, oh, rugby union, whatever. Like, I love both. Like, I'm a, a huge NRL fan. I mean, everyone knows I'm a, I'm a huge rugby rugby union fan because, well, that's what this podcast has been for a while. So, I think that being able to show the growth of rugby in general is good and people have their opinions like some people you can like both you're more you're more than welcome to do that and you can really love one over the other and that's perfectly fine too because i see a balance of different play styles and different structure of just a sport in general and you know I, I think that american football has an easier link to rugby league than it does to rugby union given you know the number of tackles i mean this, this is kind of an obvious thing uh, i joked around with people i you know before we knew about the NARL, I said, well, I think rugby league would be great because it's like a gateway drug to rugby unions uh, from American football to rugby union. So um, don't, don't do drugs, kids. Like that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> we, we don't promote that anyway. Um, but I think that's, but you're right. I, you know, as far as you know, how do we get to the next step is more exposure and more exposure is important. Um, MLR signed a contract with the rugby network and it's over the, it's a online streaming service and every game is free except for the games that are on Fox sports one or two and CBS sports on a weekly basis. Thinking about, you know, as, as you project ahead, you talked about one of your projections. I want to know kind of like, what's your five year goal? What is, what is, if you're sitting, if we're sitting here, you know, uh, April 28th, uh, the day of this recording, and we're looking down the road and it's 2026. Where is the NARL? Where's the Western Conference teams 
um, and, what, and what's happening with the growth of the sport in general? Well, so, you know, I think that one, I'm a fan of all forms of rugby. I think if you have a rugby ball in your hand, you're a better person. And the community <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some of my best friends I met playing rugby. Um, so I'm an, I'm an MLR fan, you know, I'm an NRL fan, I'm all those things, you know. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, we can bring it, we can bring rugby together, right? And so we hope to provide um, a fill when there's not a lot of other rugby being operated. We won't run at the same time as the MLR on regular. So we won't be in direct competition with them. We're going to kind of fill this space in the summer where there's only baseball. Um, and I think that, you know, our five year plan looks something like this. Uh, first year is really to get a product out there and, and try to meet people like yourself that are like minded that want to try to grow the, the, the game of rugby. In year two, we want to really get involved in each individual community and try to foster a relationship with the cities and the people that live there uh, to become a real hardcore fans and, and attend events. And we're going to do things a little bit differently. Instead of it being a home game where you would have five per year and you would play one other team. We're going to have traveling events where all teams come to a specific city. So everyone would come to Austin, all six teams, and they would play on a Saturday. All three games would be played. There'd be food. A lot of rugby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, it's about uh, four and a half hours of rugby, but we would offer, also offer other entertainment. So it's really kind of like a festival style experience, which is part of my background is I've thrown festivals before. Yeah. And I think that offers that the average consumer that maybe doesn't know about rugby, they can go with one of their friends that does now and they can go for the band or they could go for the beer or the food trucks or some of those other experiences um, that will allow them to then become rugby fans. And I think that that's kind of our key is that we're going to look on those fringes to try and bring people that, you know, maybe really like football or the UFC over to become fans of rugby through this kind of festival style event, as well as access to players um, by going out to this social networking uh, and having, you know, kind of like what the UFC did with the Ultimate Fighter, you're going to get an inside look at three to five players per team, how they're living, what they eat, what they work out, what their other activities and enjoyments are, those kind of things. Yeah. Are, are they making it on to that? The, the, you know, the starting lineup, are they on the bench? Are they not right. making it? What's going on? Why aren't they making it? You know, the they, yeah. So that's, um, I, I really, uh, really like that idea. Um, one of one of our good friends and uh, person who runs the Earful of Dirt podcast uh, for Rugby Union, Mr. Aaron Castro. Uh, I'm sure he, he will listen to this episode for sure. Uh, he will greatly appreciate that because he's been trying to push that in the MLR for well since the year one, I think. So, <laughs> uh, so, so you, you guys are right on, and uh, he's right in right in your backyard uh, in, in Phoenix as well. So, uh, okay. we, have, we have to we have to send him send him your way. Yeah, uh, get, getting back to you know we talked about you know Rob is CEO, uh, Ricky uh, Rick Wilby is that what you said his name was Ricky Ricky Wilby Ricky Wilby so um, it, it seems like the the NRI has a good high level structure of of a fit of people who have been around for a while you know besides those guys has anybody are you partnering with anybody outside the NARL that that has run a professional sports league before. Um, you know, involved inside of the NR, NARL, I don't believe that there is someone that has run a professional organization before. We have had a group of people that have run uh, USARL teams, which is a semi-pro organization. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that we're really trying to work on is bring in 
um, similar to what the MLR did, right? Season one, you know, they basically converted club teams into professional teams and, and really had a run at it. Um, and then as they've grown, they've also expanded and brought in, um, you know, the, the ex CEO of the Dallas Mavericks is now the commissioner. And so they brought yep. in these, these guys by planting that flag and saying, we're here, come help us. And that's really where we're at right now is we're, we're going to, you know, work as hard as we can to put this product out there, but we need support from the community of, of sports fans out there to help grow this. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's, that's key, right? Um, you know, like you said, and, and you kind of mentioned it too, you know, MLR started club teams just kind of built up. Now, now you look at where we're at now, we're signing former Australian internationals, Matt Gitto and, and Adam Ashley Cooper and people that, you know, guys that signed for Austin that's and other amazing. places that are so, like, these are like the, you know, they're still in kind of prime play. That's for sure. If you go watch them play. And that's kind of what I, I foresee. You know that the NARL kind of working towards in the future um, that following that same path. It's the same as what MLS did. You know, obviously some of the the soccer players were a little bit older and maybe not quite in their prime. Whereas you know we've got people that that are still technically in their prime. Um, you know, the guys that are out there that are thirty six years old and you know you, you can still go out and play Super Rugby or you know could go play NRL potentially. I mean, you talk about, <laughs> talk about Conrad Smith, like he, how old was he when he just retired? So, you know, uh, and he can still go down and destroy pretty much everybody on the pitch. Yeah. And one of the things we're really looking forward to is 2022 when we can really bring in a lot of um, outside foreign talent yeah. uh, to really kind of up our game. We, we have some really good contacts with some Fijian players as well as Australians, people from England. They, they really want to come over and just be a part of this. Um, you know, and so we're really looking forward to that international community support of people coming over similar to like what you've seen this year in the MLR with the Glentinis. Um, I think that <laughs> those things are, are, are the future that we're, we're going to build together, you know? Um, and, and so you ask about the five-year plan in five years, what I think real success looks like is that we have a cross national between America and Canadian competition with eight teams per side. Right. And, you know, we're, we're filling stadiums um, for events. Um, and then the, grand final, you know, that we hold every year would, would be similar, you know, to be able to compete with, a, you know, one of the series in, a, in, in hockey, uh, in, in a Stanley Cup game, uh, as far as attendance and, and kind of clout. That's what five-year success looks like for us. Yeah. Um, this is a long-haul project for everybody involved. You know, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. So I'm really measuring it year by year and really just trying to grow, grow as... Um, a positive influence and, and community member in the sporting community. Yeah. And do you think that, you know, tied in with that, obviously uh, it's tough with Canada right now with the Wolfpack and Ottawa. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, they'll be playing in the East Coast. Well, they'll be playing each other and playing in the East Coast specifically. How does, how is Canada kind of working into the whole structure of the NAR, NARL at this particular moment? So this year they're actually just going to play each other and that is directly related to COVID again. Yeah. The border situation of coming across next year, they'll join the East coast team and there should be two expansion teams that will come into the West coast division. Um, hopefully one in LA and one in Colorado, but that's still up in the air. Yeah. Um, and then, so we'd have eight teams on each side, which I think is a pretty healthy competition. Um, and, and that's what we hope to create next year. Um, but moving forward. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you kind of mentioned it uh, a couple minutes ago, talking about USAR, USARL. Um, what's kind of the relationship right there? I, I can be honest with everybody. 
I do not have a strong backing in what USARL was, is technically, um, and kind of the separation that's happened with some of the East Coast teams leaving and now joining the NARL. Um, can you talk you know, just at a high level of how that was structured originally, the teams that have left, and well, what is the current status of the NARL, if you know anything about it? <laughs> or you, sorry, excuse me, USARL. I'll give you my brief overview. Uh, the USARL was a semi-pro rugby league organization, ran largely on the East Coast, yeah. um, and you know they did a lot of really great things as far as bringing attention to rugby league in America. And they are a backbone of some of the teams that have come over. Um, I do think that one of the things that I think rugby in general has done a very poor job of is the commercialization of the product, right? And so, to me, there's a there's a whole bunch of rugby guys out there that say the only thing that matters is rugby. Um, and when you look at pro sports and the, at the consumer today, that's just not true, right? Uh, people don't... There's a study out there that says 51% of attendance at a professional sports game go for the social atmosphere, not even to watch the sport, Yeah, right? I mean, that's, a, that's a byproduct of them going. And so what I think is... What we are hoping to accomplish at the NARL is really to bring a commercial atmosphere to these games um, where it's going to be an entertainment product, right? Where the guys are coming out and the filming is going to be done with close-ups and you're going to feel the big hits and we're going to have drone angles and things like that to really bring the consumer closer to the game and, and let them feel that impact, which is something that I think the UFC did phenomenally. Um, and, you know, I think that they're kind of a, a case study on how to do things right. And one of the things that they did best was they put forth an entertaining product in which they worried about what the consumer wanted more than the fighter or the coach or any of those kind of things. And, and we hope to adopt those same philosophies, right? Our fans yeah. are what's most important to us. Yeah. I mean, obviously it seemed like the the ultimate fighter. When I first came out, everybody wa- everybody who was even interested in UFC and the growth of UFC, I, I almost guarantee was directly related. You could probably see the spike when the ultimate fighter came out <laughs> as a show. Uh, I haven't seen the demographics, nor do I know if it actually exists online, but I guarantee in the back offices of UFC, when the ultimate fighter came out, because it engaged people and it told a story and you followed along the storyline of like you followed people who were in there fighting. Even if you weren't a UFC fan, you just watched it to go, Oh, well, what are they doing on a daily basis? Oh man, these guys don't like each other. And you watched them go and battle it out for that contract, right? For that player contract. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's a great champion, you know, for Forrest Griffin. Forrest Griffin, yeah. You got to know him as a person and, and what a great person. And, and he really brought people like myself you know, and, and tons of friends that I know into the sport of UFC because he was relatable. Yeah. He was funny. And he worked harder than anybody I've seen. Just a regular dude, man. <laughs> like it's, yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. just seems like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have a beer with this guy afterwards. Like, that's great. And, you know, yeah. Also, he can beat the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and so that's what we really... That's where we think that the gap currently in rugby is uh, between creating an American audience and where we're at right now is the commercialization to give the fans what they want. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's what we're really trying to build. This is a fan based league. Yeah. Well, I, I guess, you know, you're building fans, you're bringing people, you're, you're bringing players in as far as players who might be interested in, you know, what can an average player, let's well, say average player, when you can even say top players, what can they expect to make if they, to be paid to come play uh, rugby league and the NARL? 
Sure. So I can only talk about the West Coast teams. Fair enough. <laughs> Ca- caveat for everybody listening on the East Coast. Yeah, we basically have four contract levels, right? Uh, we have elite players. They'll make somewhere around $15,000 for season one. There are some bonuses that they can make on top of that. And it includes housing. Um, level two players make between eight dollars and $12,000 a year. And there's a housing included in that as well as some bonuses. Level three players make between five dollars and $6,000 uh, for season one. And then um, the bottom rung is between three and four for, for tier four players. But they are getting top level coaching, housing, um, and the season is about 90 days long. Yeah. Uh, the other real benefit that we have is in season two, there becomes a big revenue boost through our sponsorship as well as the uh, sports flicks deal. And so in season two, we're looking to double those numbers. And that puts us really competitive with what the MLR is paying. Um, you know, and they're four years in and we'll be minus the Glentinis, obviously. Uh, they've really got... I love what they've done. I, I don't want to, there to be any mistake. I think that they are the best thing that's happened to rugby. Um, and I'm really grateful for them. Until, until, until they come play Austin and their, their offense gets shut, <laughs> it gets shut down by the number one defense in the league. Sorry, man. It's the Austin Rugby Podcast. We can't let the other Gill team... Uh, it's the Gill Gronies here in Austin, by the way, for those wow. listening. Uh, same owner. Same owner, different, uh, yeah, I'll different teams. You know, I tell you what, you have the number one offense against the number one defense. I tell people, yeah, offense wins games, but defense wins championships. <laughs> <laughs> Got an old, old, cl- old cliche, right? That's old adage. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, it's yeah. It, listen, they, they've done a great job uh, as far as bringing players in, getting people excited for the sport. I think in general, you're right. The growth, the how people always question, and it's always going to happen in pro, in American pro sports. Everybody wants to know how much is somebody getting paid. Uh, the question ha- happens a set of salary cap issues. The questions for MLR. Uh, you can go on any Reddit page and you will see it everywhere. Um, the more, as, as the advice from somebody sitting outside, the more you can be transparent about salary cap issues and whether, what it, if it exists per team, if it does, feel free to share. And then how close or what people are making, that will help American fans appreciate the sport more just because that's how we are as Americans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I fought. So I mentioned that I fought uh, to you before we talked. Uh, and, you know, people always thought that I made all of this money and things like that. You know, the, the UFC used to pay $2,500 a show and $2,500 a win for bottom tier fighters, right? And, and, and it's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, we are an upstart league. Uh, the salary cap per team is going to be $200,000. Uh, it is 20 players. So, you know, it's slightly reduced. Um, uh, that it does include bonuses and things like that, um, and so, and I think in season two it'll be upwards of three hundred thousand, which is you know pretty competitive to where the MLR is, um, and so we're really hoping to grow this. Uh, our goal is to grow this so that people can make this their full time, one hundred percent dedicated job, um, and, and we're growing towards that quickly. Yeah. And we think within three to five years we'll be able to support twenty man teams, uh, full time jobs uh, as a support. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, the se- the season is is fast approaching, right? Like it's it's right around the corner. Uh, June June nineteenth is that the right? Is that's a kickoff weekend for NARL, right? Um, just under two months. How prepared? Um, and say I'm gonna phrase this right. To get everything ready, how will how, how are all the American teams preparing themselves to be ready for 
that June 19th kickoff, uh, you know, cause it's not, not, it's not a long time. Um, especially cause I know you guys, you have the combine coming up here in uh, the 18th and 19th of May in Las Vegas that players from all over the U S or all over the world, I guess, come and uh, give a, give a tryout. It's more like, you know, it's, it's like the NFL combine. You just come and test your skills and, you know, you guys rate them on a scale of, well, I guess in this case for salary, like one to four, like, is this a level one or a level four person? Um, how, how ready do you feel you are right now as you're burning the midnight oil probably? <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a lot of hard work we're putting in right now, but uh, we have really great teams support us. So we're grateful for that. Um, we've sent out, we have about 240 players registered for open tryouts uh, to fill 120 spots. So it is going to be pretty competitive. Um, we're going to, we've sent out a three week prep, um, so that all the players that have registered, they have what's for our strength and conditioning coach, what they should be doing to be physically ready for tryouts. <clears throat> and then it's going to be a sprint basically. So once we have those 120 players, we're, we're just going to sign people directly that day yeah. when they show up. Uh, you know, if, if you're good, you're going to be signed. Uh, and then right into camp after that. And then we basically have four weeks worth of camp to get these guys into cardiovascular and, and rugby shape uh, before the first game. And, and we think we're going to, the, the people we're working with, um, you know, they, they're top level. And so if you have four days, six days a week or four weeks, six days a week of training, these guys are going to be ready when we go out there to put on a really great show. Um, and so we're not too worried about the players themselves. Um, you know, we're just really trying to get everything lined up as far as housing and, and, and those kind of things. Cause it's, it's a big, it's a big haul. Yeah. And then. I kind of my next question tied with that and as we get close to wrapping things up here. Um, June 14th or June 19th, uh, Las Vegas. How, uh, temperature wise, how are you guys ready to deal with the, you know, cause if, and I thought about this, you get into season two, you have teams in Phoenix, Austin, Las Vegas. Those aren't exactly the, uh, the cool seasons in those cities. Uh, you know, thinking about being, you know, July here, which would be in the, you know, beginning the middle of the season for the NRL. Uh, you're getting to be 110, 114 degrees outside. Um, what's, uh, you know, what's your thought process of playing in, in the, uh, the Vegas heat this season, this first season and then, you know, playing in the heat of all those, all these other locations in, in season two and beyond? Well, I like to joke with everybody and say, you know, we like it hot. <laughs> That's a whole nother level. That's a whole nother level of hot though. <laughs> yeah. So, so we've done some things to try to alleviate the stress on players. One being that the games are going to be played at night, uh, 7, 15, 9, 15 and 11, 15. Okay. Uh, so the, that will alleviate some of the heat, you know, we'll offer cooling fans on the sidelines. Um, there is a slight rule change where we can sub players in and out more than once. Okay. That's an NARL rule change so that it won't be, uh, we'll be able to handle like heat exhaustion or cramps or things like that. And they can still come back in and play. Um, but one of the big things that we're going to push in, um, you know, preparation for this in these training camps is getting these guys used to playing in the heat. Um, and I think that, you know, it's going to create a really competitive style of play uh, because, you know, those, the, those guys are going to come out and uh, they're not going to have the gas tank that you, 
if it was in a cooler situation. So it'll lead to explosive plays, you know, uh, big things that happen on the field uh, and maybe not as much of a grinding kind of game that you see, uh, you know, in the North of England. I think that we're really looking for an offensive explosion uh, to meet the American fan base. Yeah. Um, as far as the, the role structure, are you guys doing more of a, a Super League style or more of an NARL style? Like, it's, it's a little bit different. It's not quite, you know, there's a couple of different nuances that, that's been implemented, but especially since COVID happened. Um, what's your kind of rule structure that you're, you're going with to start off with? You know, the, the, that part, um, I have to leave for the league to be able to discuss. Um, right, right now, I believe that we're going to go with more of a NARL style, uh, set of rules, but the league is is really working hard to try and meet the American fans where they want and have rules that allow for that faster, more offensive style of gameplay. Okay. Nice. Well, obviously, you know, um, we, we can continue to ask questions until the cows come home because there's a million things that people want to know. Uh, but obviously, to be cognizant of time and because no one wants to listen to a two-hour podcast, some people don't even listen to an hour podcast. And I totally get that because... I don't want to listen to myself talk for an hour either. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just kind of to close things out, you know, we, we talked about uh, there's so much information to divulge. And for whoever listens to it first wants to start throwing it all online, by all means, please go do that. Um, you know, there, there'll probably be follow up conversations. You know, from, from your standpoint and, and your, let's we'll talk Western Conference right now. You know, the, the, there's a lot of excitement there. What are your, I guess, what are your biggest concerns that you have going in right now? Because you always have to have some concerns. You know, year one is everybody's on pins and needles, right? So Lars Havens, you're sitting there. You know, we're two months out, oh, well, a month and month and a half out. What's what's the biggest concerns that are sitting on your mind right now? You know. I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm living my dream right now. You know, I've, I've wanted to bring rugby league to America for quite some time and I'm in a position to be able to do that. So I, I wouldn't say I have concerns. What I would say is that I have a ask of uh, all your listeners and other people out there. All 10 of them. You know, <laughs> uh, Bill Gates once said he, he put Microsoft out to 1200 people. 400 of them got back to him. 83 of those people did something and 41 of them made him a millionaire. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> yeah. You, need you need passion. And so that, that's what my plea is, right? If you're passionate about rugby, if you're passionate about sports in America, if you're passionate about an organization that's going to do the right thing, reach out to us. You know, we need help. And we're looking for people that are passionate and, and really want to work to bring this. And we're going to build something great. You know, this isn't my first startup. I've, I've done several before. And to me, you know, hard work is, is how you do it. And we're going to work our asses off and we're going to build something to be proud of. And if you, you know, that sounds something like you want to be a part of, get in touch with us, you know, because we're looking for help. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, feel free. Like we always try to do our best to connect people around. I mean, r rugby, rugby community, we connect people to one another, right? There's, there's online yes, groups, on, there, there's, there's Facebook groups that are, it's literally called the rugby job board. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Lars, but it's a group of a couple thousand people. And it's like, Hey, there's a job in this city or there's a, you know, I'm in Austin, Texas. There's people who want to come down here. They want to play for the Austin Huns. They want to hopefully potentially play for, you know, the AGs here in the MLR. And they're like, I want to move there. Do you know of any jobs? Like, and I'm, you know, I, being being somebody who owns a company in Austin and who also you know works closely with tons of companies and some businesses here in Austin, we try to at least do our best to connect people. Uh, can never guarantee things, but you know, we just try to help one another because the rugby community, whether it be league or union, 
and they're just passionate and just good good souls, man. Um, and it's it, it is it's, it's a good thing. If we have two more seconds, I'd like to tell my favorite story about rugby. We man, we we have all the time in the world. To, well, not all the time, but we've got time. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> So uh, I went over to Australia and I played rugby for the first time. I trained and everything. I got in my first game, um, and you know my first game things happened. And I made this illegal hit. Right, uh, the guy stands up and punches me in the head. Right, um, you know, but I'm like, you know, as an American, I get all offended and everything. My team looks at me like, mate. You deserve that, America. Like, don't be doing that. Right? So, <laughs> what is this game, right? After the after the game, you know, we finish everything's good. We go to the bar for social. Uh, the gentleman that punched me comes up to me. You know, as an American, you know, I'm like, oh, all right, it's on again. I put down my drink, everything like that. He gives me a giant hug and he says, he goes, he goes, we leave that on the field. It's all love here. And we finished up drinking beers the rest of the night. He was actually, uh, you know, one of my best friends I made in Australia. <laughs> so, you know, that's the kind of thing that I think that uh, it, it makes the rugby community so strong, right? Is on the field, we're warriors. Afterwards, we're all you know best friends, and so yeah, that's one of the things we really want to bring both to our teams, our culture, and this league is is that kind of attitude, right? Leave it all on the field, and when you're done, you know you guys are all 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 the same. You know, yep. We're all rugby players, and, and and the engagement with the fans are always important. Uh, I, I think everybody. Every like first time rugby player, every rugby player has that. You know, I kind of have the same story. It's like, you know, some guy tried to step on the back of one of my guys in a ruck, and I went over and I clocked the guy because well, I just didn't like that. Afterwards, he comes up, gives me a shot, and he said, "That's been, I haven't been hit that hard in a long time." Like, and so you know, you, you have <laughs> only, in only in rugby, right? Like, you have that, and then afterwards, you know, it's not just you see it in the MLR right now, and I hope it happens in in NARL once we get fans in the stands. You know, it's sticking around and talking with fans and being engaged. Like, it, it, there's a bit of humbleness that rugby players have that I think doesn't exist in any and and most other professional sports. I say most like there are there are some players that will do their damnedest to be out there. Um, but you, you know NFL players they just they go off the field. They rugby players they'll hang around the pitch as long as you want just you know, for, for the most part and just shoot the shit and say hey and you know welcome people and thank them for coming out. And and I think that's a great great story to tell to everybody who's never been around a game when you bring them to a game. Tell them that's what happens. Go meet a player after the match. You know, kids love that, and it kind of gets them excited for the next next generation of rugby league or rugby union players, whatever your code desires. So, well, hey, Lars, really appreciate the time you coming on and joining us. Um, lots of questions. We'd love to have you back on a little bit later in the year, just kind of chat, see how things are going. We hope that we hope that things go well. Um, obviously, everybody does. You know, we want to see the, the growth of the sport. You've got a lot of passionate fans out there. If you didn't know if you had passionate fans, just go on the Reddit page. Just go on. There's a Facebook. Uh, what is it? The NARL supporters, I think, is the name of the Facebook. They're, they're everywhere. Um, there's fans from all over the world who are, who are really saying, okay, they're, they're keeping a close eye and everything. So that's both good and bad. You're going to be under a microscope and you probably already know that. Um, but people want to see it succeed and they want to see things go well. And, and we really hope that, that that happens and you can continue to do great things and, and grow the sport of rugby in general and, and, lead, and bring league to, to the American population on a whole. 
No. Yeah, you know, our team's working tirelessly 12 to 14 hour days to bring you guys a product. We, we will not disappoint the fans. You know, we're, we're doing this for you guys. The players and the fans is is what what we're bringing this product for. And so you, all those guys on the Reddit pages and on the Facebook groups know that, you know, I'm, I'm working as hard as I can every day to bring you a product you'll be proud of. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate it. If anybody wants to go on and find out more information about any of the Western Conference teams or NARL, uh, NARL, uh, where do they need to go to check out any of that information on you guys? So we, we have websites, but for us, we're really social media driven. So the best place is to probably check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Um, you know, uh, part of the time, if you're messaging them, I'm the guy responding. Uh, we also have a social media group that does it as well. Uh, but you never know who you'll get on the other side. But, you know, we're always here for the fans to engage for players, fans, uh, sponsors, anything like that. You can reach out to us directly on those links. There you go. Well, Lars, really appreciate you coming on the podcast again for everybody. More, more information, you know, stay tuned to the Austin Rugby Podcast. They go check out uh, Rugby League in America. Uh, that's a great podcast. It really is. Um, I, I guess I'm ashamed to just have found it in the past couple of weeks, but again, I, hell, I didn't know. Um, then you go check out Chase, Chasing Rouge. Like that's again, he's Michael's great down there. I hope to have him and chat sometime about some rugby league. And as the season progresses and draws closer, and the end of uh, MLR happens, you know, we'll start again that transition from talking about Austin, the Austin Gilbronies, the AGs here in Austin, start talking about Armadillo rugby. The, up the dillos that's right yeah, <laughs> already already talking about it hey uh Lars, thanks for coming on again really appreciate it my name is dustin there thanks for listening and watching the podcast until next time see you on the pitch 